This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Out of the Blue podcast. My name is John Fleetham and I am a physician and clinical scientist in the Division of Respiratory Medicine at the University of British Columbia, Vancouver, Canada. Today I'm joined by Dr. Julia Chapman, who's the first author of a recent article entitled, Does Armadaphanil Improve Driving Task Performance and Weight Loss in Sleep Apnea? A Randomized Trial. Dr. Chapman is a research fellow at the Walcott Institute of Medical Research in Sydney, Australia. Also joining us today is Dr. Sanjay Patel, uh, who wrote an associated editorial entitled Managing Sleep Apnea and Those Who Fail CPAP, Dealing with the Invisible Epidemic. Dr. Patel is the Professor of Medicine and Director of the Center uh, for Sleep and Cardiovascular Outcome Research at the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, Thank you both for joining us today. Before we discuss the details of the paper, um, I'd like to start by several questions about uh, the treatment uh, of obstructive sleep apnea. Uh, Sanjay, CPAP is a very effective treatment for obstructive sleep apnea. Why are so many patients unwilling or unable to use this treatment uh, on long term? So I think um, nobody's really excited about the thought of having to use CPAP. There's a negative stigma about using it, and unlike many other treatments, it's one that sort of sits at your bedside and reminds you that you are sick or you have an illness, and it's a reminder to family members that you can't easily hide as you could a medication. Um, So I think for many patients, there's this psychological stigma that, that prevents people from using it. In addition, it is Uh, somewhat inconvenient. You have to remember to put it on. There is some nasal congestion and and there can be claustrophobia and and mass discomfort and uh, things like that. So overall, I think a large proportion of patients that we start on CPAP are just unwilling or uh, or unable uh, over the long run to continue using it. And Sanjay, in follow-up to that, what are the alternative treatments to CPAP for the management of obstructive sleep apnea? And what are the limitations of these treatments? So probably the most common alternative treatment is a mandibular advancement device or an oral appliance, which uh, pulls your lower jaw forward. Um, These uh, tend to be much better tolerated than CPAP machines, but they have their own problems. Uh, A large problem in terms of um, getting access to them is that there's a shortage of trained dentists in, in most countries uh, to make these devices. <clears throat> there are also problems with insurance coverage and, and other sort of cost issues that, that restrict access. Uh, another, another problem with the oral appliances is that they uh, tend not to work well or not be as effective in patients with more severe sleep apnea, particularly those who are morbidly obese. In addition to uh, the mandibular advancement devices, there are, there are also surgical options, <clears throat> including the uvula pallida pharyngoplasty, uh, maxillary mandibular advancement surgery, and um, the hypoglossal nerve stimulation. Again, the, the, the number of patients who are, who are good candidates for these procedures um, 
is is not substantial in that again morbid obesity tends to predict poor outcomes with uh, each of these procedures and again there's limitations based on access to trained surgeons thanks now julie in your clinical trial you evaluated behavioral weight loss plus armadopanafinil in patients with obstructive sleep apnea who'd rejected CPAP or, and, uh, or mandibular advancement splints. Uh, many listeners are familiar with modafinil, but not with armadopanil. How are the drugs, two drugs differ? And is armadopanil freely available? Um, so modafinil is what's known as a racemic mix of that's sort of a left-handed and a right-handed molecule. And all armadafinil is, is it's sort of been refined to just the right-handed molecule. Of the two that make up modafinil, armadafinil is thought to have a longer functional half-life and in general it's prescribed as a single morning dose as opposed to modafinil which is often prescribed um, as two doses, one in the morning and one at lunchtime. Um, so in terms of its availability, it, it's um, available on the market in US and Australia but not in Europe at the moment um, and it's indicated for use in narcolepsy, idiopathic hypersomnia and in sleep apnea where sleepiness remains despite adequate CPAP use, um, but it's not yet indicated for the indication we used it for in this trial. Yep. So Julia, can you describe your study patients and then also uh, comment on how you determine their rejection of CPAP and mandibular advancement splints? Yeah, sure. So um, I guess we were looking for what we would call the lost patients, those patients that Sanjay was re referring to before. So the people who've sort of tried um, been told to use, diagnosed with sleep apnea, told to use CPAP or MAS, and for whatever reason, be it the claustrophobia, the psychological um, stigma, they're not able to continue with the treatment. Um, we, we said that people had to try and refuse CPAP and MAS with all, and or MAS within the past two years. And all participants had to come in and have a screening visit with a study doctor where they were offered a retrial of CPAP and MAS. It said, look, the best thing for you is going to be going back on your CPAP or MAS. Um, and interestingly, about 14% of people who we screened for the study ended up being ineligible because they took that offer up. So they did give CPAP another go, for example, after speaking to the doctor about it. Um, so we were really looking for those people who, despite our best efforts, are really lost in the system and they're not using any treatment um, we were also looking for people who were overweight, um, subjectively sleepy, reported daytime sleepiness, um, and with those things we thought that giving them an op opportunity to lose some weight may be the best sort of treatment option for their sleep apnea itself. Now what was your study design and outcomes? So we actually performed what's known as a factorial study design whereby we randomised participants to two treatments at exactly the same time. So all patients enrolled were randomly allocated to one of two diets. One is just a basic um, standard hypocaloric diet or a low glycemic index high protein diet. And we hypothesized that these diets would result in equivalent fat mass loss um, measured via DEXA scan for these participants. Um, so remembering all through the study, all participants are on a weight loss program. But then at the same time we randomized to the two diets, we randomised them to either 150 milligrams of armadafinil or matching placebo daily. And our primary outcome was 
we were looking at trying to reduce the sort of primary symptom of daytime sleepiness in these people. So we were looking at improvement in driving simulator performance, specifically how much they deviate from the centre of their lane in the final 30 minutes of a 90-minute drive. And this has been shown in previous research to sleep apnea, people with sleep apnea are particularly bad in the final 30 minutes of a 90-minute drive. So we were looking after six months of treatment with armadafinil if they were significantly improved in lane deviations compared to those on placebo. And we also had three secondary outcomes, which were improvement on the Epworth sleepiness scale, improvement in sleep-related quality of life, which is measured by the Functional Outcomes of Sleep Questionnaire, and we also hypothesised that they would reduce um, in fat mass um, measured via DEXA scan on armadafinil over, over placebo. And so what were the study findings? So, <laughs> um, on average across all participants, there was about a 4.6 kilogram fat mass loss at six months, and this was sustained to 12 months, about 4.1 kilograms. And so when we, we see that as, as clinically important because the um, it's actual fat mass loss. So when you put somebody on a DEXA scan bed, you're getting their body composition. It breaks it down into um, fat and bone and other. And so they were actually losing 4.6 kilos of fat overall, which was good. Um, so on the background of that, the people on armadafinil, um, they improved their steering deviation over placebo at three months, but not at our primary time point of six months. So there was a significant difference between the groups at three, but not six months. Um, in terms of the secondary outcome, all participants improved on both the Epworth Sleepiness Scale score and Functional Outcomes of Sleep Questionnaire score from baseline, but there was no difference between the armadafinil and placebo groups, and that's probably because of the um, weight loss, the underground weight loss effect. But interestingly, however, those patients on armadafinil did lose more fat than those on placebo, and there was a 2.4 kilogram later loss, greater loss in body fat on armadafinil compared with placebo. So what's your explanation for the finding that uh, your primary outcome driving performance was improved at three months, but not at six months? Yeah, so I think that was really interesting for us. Um, I suppose we, we powered our study on previous work done by Andrew Varkland and his group in Adelaide, which shows, as I said before, that people with sleep apnea have a significant time on task decrement over a 90-minute drive. Um, and they perform particularly badly over that final 30 minutes. And what we saw at baseline mimicked those results, with all participants getting worse as their drive went on. Then what happened at three months um, is the placebo group still showed that clear time on task decrement over the 90 minutes. They were getting worse. But this was gone in the armadafinil group. So the armadafinil group, were, it appeared to be they were able to sustain their performance over the 90-minute drive better. Um, so we did see a difference at three months. But then by six months, rather than the armadafinil group getting worse again, it was like the placebo group got better. And so by six months, both, both the placebo group and the armadafinil group were able to better sustain their performance over the 90-minute drive. So because of um, the way that data looked, we, we thought that maybe this is some kind of learning effect that we saw with the simulator 
whereby those on armadafinil learnt better to cope with the drive and those on placebo took an extra go at it to learn it. Some people have asked us about whether or not it's a dropout effect, but there was dropout primarily between baseline and three months, but not really any further dropout between three and six months. So that doesn't explain the difference in performance between those two visits. Um, other things that might have happened could be uh, that perhaps we, we had um, our samples that we didn't quite reach our sample size, maybe that was it, but because it seems that the placebo group got better, we, we don't seem to think that we would have reached significance even if our sample size increased. Um, we also only, we only used 150 milligram dose of armadafinil in this study and other trials have evaluated doses up to 250 milligrams and perhaps for some people this may have shown a greater and more sustained effect over time. Um, and there's also a lot of inter-individual variability in our, in our data. Some people perform well, some people perform <laughs> not very well. And there's a suggestion that maybe there's sort of, um, this is to do with the in individual responses to armadafinil. And we know that there are sort of genetic polymorphisms of the Compton dopamine transporter genes that may contribute to differential effects of um, armadafinil. So, we're not sure, <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it is um, a sort of primary kind of thought is that it, it does seem that those on the placebo group were better able to cope with the drive at six months than three months, whereas the armadafinil group kind of coped better by three months already. Thank you. Um, now, the patients on armadafinil lost a mean 2.4 uh, kilograms in terms of weight loss. How does that compare with other weight loss agents? Yeah, so I guess important to note is that the 2.4 kilos was actually body fat, not just kilograms of weight, so we were quite happy with that. But if, in terms of looking at other weight loss agents, when the, when the FDA want to approve something as a weight loss agent, the data that they look for is the amount of people who lost 5% of their body weight over a one-year trial on the drug. So we only had a six-month trial, um, but the FDA wants about 35% of people to lose 5% or more and that this must be about double what a placebo group would lose on the same background behavioural weight loss program. So in our study, while it was only six months, our armadafinil met these criteria for FDA approval as a weight loss agent, um, but not, for, not the one-year criteria. So what we've shown is that it's quite similar to Orlistat and Lorcaserin, um, and maybe a slightly reduced effect compared to liraglutide and phentamine and topiramate, which have a sort of higher percentage of participants who can lose weight like that. Um, but in terms of the side effect profile of some of those medications, and for example, Orlistat, which sort of works by um, binding to fat that's taken in and has quite severe side effects, which is also its mechanism of action, um, I think that um, armadafinil may be better tolerated than some of those other medications, which is quite um, quite an interesting thing. Yeah. So I think you just touched on it, but what are the potential mechanisms of, of action for the weight loss associated with armadafinil? Yeah. So we don't we don't know. I guess in our study, participants <laughs> were asked to wear an activity monitor on their wrist for one week. Every, every three months, both before treatment and then during the study. 
Um, and this allowed us to track their change in activity patterns before and after. So what we saw that those on, uh, were that those on armadafinil increased their activity over 24 hours by 17.5% from baseline, and those on the placebo group increased their activity by 8.8% from baseline. So all groups are on a diet and exercise program, they're being told to be more active, but it seems that those on armadafinil did become more active. So whether it's because they're less sort of sleepy, less, you know, whatever whatever's going on, they did seem to move about more. Um, but So that that's one potential mechanism. But we don't really know the direct mechanism of action of modafinil or armodafinil, but it does share some properties like dopaminergic activity with amphetamines. It's, it's a non-amphetamine wakefulness promoter, but it does share some properties. And it is possible, therefore, that it has a sort of direct effect on appetite suppression. Um, we didn't really have a good way to measure that in our study, I suppose, but based on a questionnaire that assessed eating behaviours, that didn't seem to change between the groups. Um, so we're, we're thinking it's probably this sort of increased activity effect um, rather than a direct appetite suppression effect, but we can't be sure that it's not doing both, perhaps. Modafinil has been associated with severe side effects, and the, the one that worries me is Stevens Johnson syndrome. How well was armadafinil tolerated in your study, and were there any major safety concerns? Yeah, so we didn't see any Stevens Johnson syndrome in our study, but it was only six months long in 113 participants. Um, we didn't have any deaths in the study, so that was good. And I guess we were looking at a population of overweight men and women with untreated sleep apnea. So they're a high-risk group to start with. Um, however, we did exclude people from the study who did have significant cardiac histories. Um, but over the study, as I said, we saw, we saw no deaths, no cases of Stevens-Johnson syndrome, and no cardiac concerns throughout the study. So we didn't see any kind of trend for um, major cardiovascular events or anything like that throughout the study. Um, the sort of the, the less severe side effects, I guess, were what we've seen pre listed previously for modafinil. So there were the more, more common ones were things like headaches, nausea, dizziness, and some insomnia. Um, and there was a trend for increased adverse events on armadafinil compared with placebo. But um, another sort of concern that people have had with modafinil and armadafinil in the past is whether or not it increases blood pressure. And... So we measured, we monitored that quite carefully throughout the study. And remembering that all these participants were on a background of a weight loss program, um, armadafinil did not increase blood pressure uh, uh, compared to placebo. The only thing that it may have done is, as I said, blood pressure decreased in everybody, but those on armadafinil may have had a slightly attenuated decrease in blood pressure compared to placebo. So the placebo group had a greater drop in blood pressure compared to those on armadafinil. But I think it's important that it didn't increase um, on a background of weight loss in these patients. So my final question about your study, you, you recruited um, 113 of the intended 130 patients, but you screened uh, 1,500 potential participants. Um, why was this study so difficult to recruit to? And in the end, did you have sufficient power uh, for your primary outcome? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, that was it was a lot of people to screen. <laughs> uh, 
Um, I think we did find this study difficult to recruit for. I, I guess part of the reason is in Sydney, we, we have a long history with CPAP and a lot of people were interested in the study but ineligible either due to ongoing use of their CPAP um, or, or mandibular advancement splints um, and or those people who came in and decided to try it again. Apart from that, I guess it was, it was quite a burden, burdensome study for participants and so we asked these people to come in. They had to attend for 12 or 24 hour visits every three months with extra shorter visits with the dietitian in the first six months. And I think that from the get-go, people would read the participant information sheet and it turned a lot of people away and it was one of our reasons for decline is that they couldn't attend study visits. And I guess if we were to design this study again, we would certainly reduce that participant burden and try and make it a bit more pragmatic in its design, sort of more aligned with what someone in the real world would expect coming in and seeing their physician and going on a treatment program like this. So I think that they were the two main reasons that people were ineligible or declined the study. Um, and in, in terms of power, um, in the end there was probably insufficient power after dropouts to detect our primary effect. Um, but as I sort of touched on before, um, because that time on task decrement sort of seemed to resolve at six months in the placebo group, it seems unlikely that we would have reached that significance level even if our sample size had had met um, what we were expecting. So, so yeah, we did. Um, I think the key is if designing a study like this, try and make it more pragmatic in its design and um, a little bit less burdensome. <laughs> Sanjay, the, these results again highlight the benefits of weight loss in patients with obstructive sleep apnea which is always a difficult issue. Do you have any recommendations on how to achieve weight loss in this patient population? Yeah, so there's actually a um, ATS statement coming out <clears throat> in the next few weeks in the Blue Journal that I, I encourage everybody uh, to, to read through carefully because it goes into this, and I think this is an issue that is a problem for, for many clinicians in that they don't feel comfortable in how to counsel their patients on achieving weight loss. But there have been a lot of trials in uh, patients with sleep apnea and even more trials in just the general obese um, patient population that, that give us a lot of evidence on what works and what doesn't work. And, and I think some of the things that have been shown to be helpful are first to give patients a realistic um, sort of goal to, to reassure them that even a 5% weight loss like was achieved in this study um, does provide a meaningful benefit. Again, in this trial, just a 5% loss in weight had significant improvements in sleepiness and, and uh, sleep-related quality of life. And, and so that is a realistic goal for patients to aim for. Um, the, the second is that the greatest weight loss that can be achieved through behavioral intervention is, is through what's called a comprehensive lifestyle intervention that combines diet, exercise, and uh, a behavioral intervention. Um, and I think too often we don't talk about the behavioral intervention. Um, in, in terms of the diet, um, you know, it's pretty clear that no one diet is better than any other, and the key is reducing calories. And again, um, this study, again, sort of reconfirms that the type of diet doesn't really matter. 
Um, a simple goal is just to have people reduce their caloric intake by 500 to 1,000 calories a day. Um, and then in terms of the exercise component, the goal should be to um, have aerobic activity for 150 minutes a week. And then in terms of the behavioral counseling, um, the, the, the two key things are that that needs to be intensive. It's pretty clear that more sessions, the greater the weight loss. And so it's recommended that people undergo at least 14 sessions over the first six months and that there be regular self-monitoring, um, which, which means that um, patients be encouraged to count their calories, to, to count their steps or how much activity they're doing, and, and to monitor their weight regularly so that they get that ongoing feedback on how they're doing. Um, and, and with those interventions, it's clear that the um, a five to ten percent weight loss is is certainly achievable by most um, patients. Thanks. That's that's very helpful. Um, now, based on the findings in Julia's study, do you think there's any role for armadaptinol as a chronic treatment for patients with obstructive sleep apnea who've rejected CPAP and oral appliance therapy? Yeah, I think. I mean, I think Julia's study really highlights an issue that that our field has ignored which is to pretend like these patients don't exist and we don't need to make these decisions. Um, it, it's fairly clear that there are lots of these patients out there, and a lot of times they just disappear because we keep yelling at them that they should just try CPAP longer or harder, and that's all we tell them, and so they tune us out. Um, but I, I think in trying to decide what to do with these patients who have tried and failed these um, standard treatments, uh, I, I think you have to balance sort of the sort of the risk versus the benefits. Um, I, I think an important potential benefit of putting somebody on, on armadafinil uh, is that, especially if they have significant drowsiness, including um, falling asleep while driving, you could, you could reduce their risk of having a motor vehicle crash. And, and that's an important um, I guess, event to try to prevent. The the potential downside of armadafinil in the long run is, is that there may be some cardiovascular risk. There's not a lot of long-term data, but there's some data to suggest that patients may be at a higher risk of stroke who are on modafinil or armadafinil. So I think you have to balance those two and see what the patient's risk is of, of both a cardiovascular event and, and of uh, a motor vehicle crash, and if the the risk benefit ratio favors using the armadafinil, um, I, I think it's certainly a reasonable thing to do. Now, Julia, do you have any final points you'd like to emphasize about your study? Yeah, so I think um, yeah, it's really interesting what Sanjay's saying there, and I mean, I'm I'm not a clinician, so I can't sort of say what's good or bad for individual patients, but I do see in the clinics and things like that that these people do come in, and I think it's really important that there are treatment options for these lost lost patients um, out there. And I guess in terms of recommending armadafinil as an ongoing treatment, I think that um, the greater fat mass loss that we saw was a really interesting finding. And I think that probably what needs to happen is it needs to be explored further in a study that is specifically designed to test that hypothesis. Um, and I think so probably a next step would be designing a study, 
perhaps with a more aggressive weight loss program, things something like a very low energy diet, um, in order to um, progress this area. And Sanjay, do you have any final comments about the importance of uh, these findings? Um, I mean, I agree with Julia that that these results, as relates to the effect of armadafinil on helping to reduce weight, are, are intriguing and exciting um, in that it's another tool that maybe sleep clinicians are more familiar with the use of armadafinil versus sort of other um, weight loss drugs on the market. Um, uh, my only concern is that we've seen with other weight loss drugs um, the goal isn't always just to lose weight. I mean, that has a cosmetic effect, but a lot of us think that by losing weight, you're going to reduce cardiovascular events or, or the risk of diabetes or other long-term complications. And for some drugs, that isn't the, that's clearly not the case. There are clearly weight loss drugs that have been associated with a higher risk of cardiovascular events. And, and so I think we, we really do need more research on um, what the cardiovascular risk and modafinil are if, if we want to think about using them long-term over many years to, to uh, as, as a weight loss agent. So I, I'd like to thank you both for doing this podcast. Um, to the listener, to read the article discussed in this podcast, please visit the podcast homepage at www.atsjournals.org. Uh, to listen to more episodes of Out of the Blue, visit our page on iTunes or Google Play. Uh, you can also subscribe to stay updated whenever new episodes are available. So thanks again for listening and, and have a great day. 